Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a great interview. Uh, as all of these days are nowadays without alcohol hammering my brain and leaving me dry retching and with a hangover from hell. So I love my life and my guest today, Lisa King, is indeed in exactly the same boat. In the, the pre-recording phase, we've just been joking around about the, the projects that we have on the go. And we both, I think, need to grow a few more hands to actually juggle all <laughs> the balls that we have got in the air. And it is mm. such a cool life compared with the train wreck that we were once upon a time. So I've got Lisa here today with me on the show that we can explore her story and learn from her story and learn the, the lessons that she had learned the hard way so that you guys maybe don't need to do the same lessons. How about that? So Lisa, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you. It's, this, it's absolutely brilliant to be here. So, and such an important topic to be Isn't speaking it? about. And it's one that's, it's changed my life. So I'm really pleased that I can share and yeah, hope I can give someone some ideas and, and some thoughts. Absolutely. Oh, Lisa, thank you very much. I was a train wreck and you were not in a good place either. And we both obviously didn't start our lives uh, in in planning to be to be in a bad place. When, when you were younger, Lisa, what were your dreams, your ambitions? Who did you want to be when you grow up? It was really interesting. When I've thought back on this, I actually wanted to be a police officer when I was younger. Cool. I, no idea. Yeah, I've I've always been somebody who's quite artistic, really creative. And but I've always been somebody that wanted to help people. And I knew I looking back, I'm thinking, right, okay. It was one of those things at school where they say, right, lawyer, do this, do that. <laughs> Be a police officer. Oh. And now I think I, I really I don't conform I'm not a conformist, so I do not conform. I'm one of those that what I I will ask the questions, I will really sort of make sure that justice is done, but in a way of batting against the way things should be done if the real questions need to be asked for people. So a police officer would be the absolute worst profession looking back, which is quite funny. Isn't it? Having said that, we need people who can think outside of the square mm. because only because something is legal doesn't necessarily mean to mm. say that it is right. Remember all the persecution of the Jews in, in uh, the mm. Nazi uh, period. That was very legal. Yeah. Um, was yeah. it right? How? No. Um, so therefore, Absolutely. I think we need in all professions and all places, we need to learn mm. to live our lives with integrity, authenticity, and, and humility. And if we can yeah. get that combination right, then mm. I think, yeah, the more, the more we can can show our beautiful sides that might not fit into the classic 
let's say, a, a, a binary kind of system, say, mm -hmm. uh, I'm married, married to a woman and, and man. Um, but rather, actually, there's a spectrum there, you know, there is there yeah. is like that, uh, you know, the more we can can spread the news that, hey, you are okay, you are mm -hmm. normal, okay, you yeah. are not abnormal, yeah. you're not out there, and, and get rid of the shame and guilt. And if we can do yeah. that for the police, in the in the sense of of a confrontation where someone is really, really, really upset, yet here you come in with a different approach. How beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you, I disagree with you. I think you would have made a great police officer, <laughs> but not necessarily with your with your superiors. I think now face to face yeah. out there. <laughs> That's right. I, so, that, you've nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I think, Lisa, I think though, as a non-conformist, I think your your teenager years would have been quite interesting. Uh, you were a rebel. Can I assume that right? Huge. <laughs> yeah. How did you Absolutely act? Absolutely huge. <laughs> well, my my, I've, there are many facets to my journey, and alcohol came in actually when I was twelve. So at that, oh. after I was raped, so there was a lot. Many things happened to me as a child, but that was the event that then um, I switched off to everything emotionally. You know, I really sort of, and that was my coping mechanism. Oh. That was my. That was my go-to. So from there, my whole teenage life was sort of, it was sort of dealt for me then at that point. It was, it, it became the most, you know, the biggest priority. It became the thing that I would work my social life around, you know, where, and, and I was so lost. I, I was craving connection. It happened to be with people that, you know, they weren't interested in school. They weren't interested in bettering themselves. They just wanted to get drunk and do the rebellious things, you know, as you do. Unfortunately, me being me, I'm a bit of an all or nothing. <laughs> so I really went for it. And, um, yeah, that was the start. <laughs> that was the start of it. So Yeah, a real go-getter, just in the wrong, oh, yes. wrong direction oh, at yes. the moment. <laughs> Thankfully, now it's channeled the right way. Back then, <laughs> uh, I'd gone so far off piece; yeah. it was uh, yeah. it, it was comical. Now it wasn't then. But. Well, exactly, mm. exactly right. Um, friction with the law. Did the the police officer mm. or police police woman uh, to be uh, end up actually under receiving it? I had. I was always thankfully the love of my mum was probably the one thing that, one, kept me alive, and two, kept me out of jail, to be honest, because everything that had happened and everything that was going on, I always knew I had my safe place at home. I was very lucky to have that. And I also didn't tell my mum half the stuff I was getting up to because she'd probably have a heart attack. So, <laughs> you know. so Fair call. So Fair I, call. Yeah. Yeah, so I, t I tended to avoid getting into trouble more, yeah. not because of me. I wasn't worried about the impact it would have on me. What I didn't want is my mum getting police knock on the door mm. and have to deal with that on top of everything else. So that's another thing I'm very thankful. I've never been arrested, uh, mainly because they never caught me, but <laughs> but also because I wasn't re rebellious in that way. 
it was a more of a rebellious about things that I did to me as opposed to externally, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So very much so. Yeah. What did the alcohol give you? Why did you drink? It gave me an escape. At the time, I it gave me connection as well because the people that I want I was getting the connection from, you know, who knows if it would have been so if it would have been a completely different group of people that were in something different, my whole path would have been probably completely different. But what that gave me is it numbed me. It, it numbed the pain. It took away the thoughts. It made me happy. You know, all those different things. And I didn't understand it. And, and I could drink. I mean, I come from a family of drinkers. And if you wanted somebody to go into a drinking competition, I happened to be the first one that was mentioned. <laughs> so... Okay. So, yeah, and, and I think I also, I didn't know who Lisa was without the alcohol. It, it, mm. Became, mm. it became a mask. Mm. Were you always clear about your sexuality? Were you always um, mm. clear who you, who you liked? Or was that an evolving journey round about that time? It was, it's really interesting you asking that because, so I always was attracted to women in a way of appreciating. And it was when I got a little bit older, so I would have been probably 10 or 11, a little bit older, but as a, in my journey, that I started, I had a bit of a crush on my secondary school PE teacher. Um, now I know it's a crush. Back then I wasn't sure what it was. But I had, after 12, after what happened when I was 12, I had then a, a, a sort of, couldn't really call it a relationship. I had a rendezvous with another girl, and that, I suppose, was the start of it. Was it because of what happened? I don't think so, because, you know, I'm, I'm still gay. Mm. And I'm very much in control of my mind. Mm. And if I wanted to do something, I'd do it. So I've always been appreciative of men. I had straight relationships from 16 because that's what I was supposed to do. That's what, and again, yeah, again, it was more because I didn't want my mum having any more stress. Oh, Random. Yeah. I was such a people pleaser, it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but often um, enough it is it is the the, the i mean we are both we are both coming probably from a time when yeah. it was not so normal to be gay or lesbian oh, when yeah. certainly yeah. in the uk the gay bashing was you know oh. a, a nice sport in the 80s mm. um yeah. and yeah. horrible 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 so i can see sometimes that alcohol can be a very well lubricating um thing is because yeah. your your inhibition goes and you maybe mm. are a bit more uh, a bit more willing to take a, a risk so to speak mm. so yeah. i i mean there are a lot of facets obviously that come into your growth as a teenager where mm. alcohol was actually quite a positive thing quite a um Mm. A crutch, but a crutch that had its purpose, had its mm. its meaning, 
and it was a bit of a of a protective cloak. So, uh, it was a bit of a hugely yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, no, it's and, and I think that's sort of important. We need to all recognize that that there are damn good reasons why we drink. And yeah. uh, it's trauma. Yeah. For me, it was trauma left, right, and center that drove yeah. me to to drink. But I loved how you said that. Had I been together with other people, I would have maybe turned out very differently. And that's the key, isn't it? Mm. Because nowadays mm. we surround ourselves with people who have gotten their shit together, and they got their shit together yeah. because they went through hard times. So yeah. they learned. Yeah. We learn from our lessons. And nowadays we mm. are people who have got who have got our shit together. Full stop. Yeah. And then that was so not the case. We had, I hadn't had a, a playbook. I didn't know the rules. I had the supercomputer and no one ever gave me a manual. So here I was mm. trying to sort of figure life out. And guess what? The, the reboot via a bottle of wine. Yeah, that yeah. works quite well. Thank you very much. So give me yeah. more. That, is, that seems to work. The pain is gone. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> So yeah. alcohol was part of your life when you were a teenager. When you then started growing up, uh, what was, when you left school, what was your career path? Where did you go? So I left school at 17 and I went into administration, secretarial work, that type of thing. Um, I had, I was excelling at school at one point. I was doing exceptionally well and then problems at home got really intense. So right around the time of my exams and things like that. And it isn't an excuse. It happened. And, and that's, you know, so what I did, and I would never have gone to uni because I wanted to be at home to protect mum. So I wouldn't, there was never, uni was never even in um, my thoughts from at any point. I was never going to go to uni. So I did sixth form at school, which was fine. Went into secretarial and I stayed doing that for quite a while until I... <laughs> I then discovered I've always wanted to be my own boss from quite a young age. I think that was the not being told what to do thing, kicking in. <laughs> um, and I always wanted to do that. So I thought, right, okay, I was got to, I, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I was probably about 20, late 20s. I'd reached the top that I could be in. I was paid a ridiculous amount of money for what I was doing. And I was... The, the top PA for a multi multinational company. And one day, the my boss, the top CEO, on Boxing Day, decided to ring me, saying, Lisa, I've got something really urgent, really urgent. Can you please help me? And my phone was buzzing, and I was in the shower. And I thought, what's going on? It was that urgent. I thought, right, I need to deal with this. He wanted his hair cut. <laughs> so, honestly... Yes, this guy was unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, so I went in on the Monday. I went in and went, there you go. There's my resignation. And, he's, and basically, he paid me three months' worth of, um, of pay, tax-free, more because he was concerned of what I might say. And from that, I set my own business up. <laughs> that was the film The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think you have lived that life, haven't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, so, how old were you then? I would have been about 29. I, I always wonder whether or not I, I should have done it earlier, but I don't. I was a bit too much of a rebel who liked going out clubbing 
and I, I don't think I could have done the hours that I did as as a business owner. <laughs> feeling the way I did. <laughs> yeah, the the disease of being self-employed. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> you yeah, you got absolutely. Tr- truly infected there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and what did you do? What was your what was your journey? What what self-employment uh, did you choose? So I've always been into fitness, um, health and fitness, and in sport. I played um, national level football. I was, I was um, that was my as sport was also a very good escape for me. Hmm. Um, so I went in, in, as a personal trainer. So I have my own business, and to be honest, I've been doing that for twenty years. So as a trainer, I'd go into the military. I'd I'd train the families. I um, I had a sports coaching business, so I'd teach the little ones how to do sport from a tiny age and and that's only finished because of what's going on now in the mm. world it's the only reason I, I i do other businesses but the only reason i stopped it was because of that so health has been in my world for a long time mm. more physical now i work in the mental health sector mm. privately mm. Mm. and isn't it interesting there there are you clubbing drinking probably having a good time until four o'clock in the morning and oh, then yeah. you think oh shit first client at six o'clock uh straight to yeah. the gym uh what did you drink did you did you migrate to vodka uh because you can smell it less i i liked vodka anyway to be honest oh, vodka was, <laughs> yeah but i mean i used to be able to drink shot i mean on honestly stefan i'm really not kidding you i i I could easily go out and we, we had a football tournament and I'll never forget it. We had a football tournament and we were, it was more about getting drunk, to be honest, <laughs> and socialising with everybody than actually playing football. Mm. And we start playing really early in the morning. Well, the thing is, I hadn't even got in. <laughs> I hadn't even come in from the night before. I would literally change and I will never forget the referee um, turned around. I was captain, turned around to me and he said, Lisa, I need to talk to you. I'm like, right, okay. He said, uh, I'm a bit concerned that some of your players are still under the influence. So <laughs> deadpan, straight-faced. As, as, and I turned around to the other team and I said, girls, quick question. Is anybody actually sober on your team right now? And they were like, no. And I said, let's play. And he just, he couldn't say anything. And the things that we did, I mean... How and nobody got seriously injured is beyond I me. I know. It is and, and it just shows that how 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 alcohol permeates our society and certainly in the oh, UK massive. for crying out loud. Whoa. But uh, Germany, not much better. Honestly, it is yeah. it was it was normal to drink, it was Ooh. normal to have a party, etc. Yeah, I think the only yeah. times when I didn't really drink was really before workouts or before for I was training quite seriously martial arts in that time so I was doing lots of martial arts but afterwards a beer thank you very much that was not a bad thing but I was still relaxing beer Uh, then I I went into the university and then the partying started so and then I yeah exactly where you are um interesting times but it is what we do when we are 21 and bulletproof and and you just have have no inkling what you're doing and your body your body can roll with the punches then 
And it's the amazing thing. Here you are, uh, like this Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde kind of thing, uh, where you are on the one hand, oh, I'm, I'm all health, coaching, sport, etc. And then the night comes and the vampires come out. Ah, that's a fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Yeah. Same here. Two same different here. lives. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. So the schizophrenia of, of it is uh, always blows me away. And it's so common what you say, so common. And yeah. and actually the alcohol industry, guys, if, if you are just watching out what, how you're getting bombarded with it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. very normal now to get the Alka seltzer, not Alka, get a heart seltzer. The heart seltzer yeah. is basically alcohol, yeah. uh, cum dioxide, uh, the, the fizzy thing, uh, a bit of lemon or whatever mm -hmm. taste, and alcohol in there. And it's, it's, it's yeah. water, alcohol, carbon dioxide. How much cheaper can you do it? But it's carb-free, it's uh, no alcohol, no, no calories as such. Mm -hmm. So you get told a lot of bullshit. And it is marketed especially for the fitness-conscious people out there. Here you go mm -hmm. out, you go have a really good workout. You did a spin class, you have deserved a hard seltzer. Come on, you can do it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the social yeah. engineering, guys, that is going on behind your behind the scenes is the mm -hmm. massive. So it's not surprising that one in three are chemically addicted. Um, oh, one massive. In, yeah. yeah, exactly. One in five are are uh, dangerous drinkers. And I don't know the up to date yeah. figures now in the UK because with COVID, uh, hell, oh, the, and the rest. Exactly. So with all the uncertainty with Brexit, mm. there's so many things up in the air. No surprise that all the, the warning bells are ringing. And maybe therefore it's so timely that we actually talk about these things here and talk about that it is such a slippery slope, that it's so yeah. easy to drink more and more and more. Yeah. But then one day life changed for you, Lisa. One day you things were no longer as smooth. Um, are you happy to share a bit? What was yeah, of course. how your life changed? Of course. So life was going pretty much in a bit of a pattern as it was, you know, and that's from many, many years ago. And it was all going swimmingly. I was having fun, doing what I was doing. The business was going okay. I actually had two different businesses at that point. And... My partner, Becky, was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Now, this, we're not talking early stages. The doctor um, won't go into too much uh, details, but the, the doctor didn't examine her when he should have done, put it down to women's issues and decided that that was going to be it. There was going to be no, um, no tests. And it wasn't until there, you know, there was a lot of things happening that I'm like, please go to the doctors and to the hospital and get this checked. And unfortunately, she went and the tumour was like that, that size of a grapefruit. And the only way they could deal with this was because a hysterectomy wouldn't have worked. So they had to throw huge amounts of chemo and radiotherapy at her. Now, the good thing is, like me, she was in sport. She was very fit. She, you know, she was... Um, she worked for the England rugby team, actually, the men's England rugby team, in that setup. So there was a lot of support around her. There was, you know, oh, a lot of um, positivity and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So she had the she had the she was diagnosed in February two thousand and nine. Yes, February two thousand nine, and then finished the treatment. But the the treatment was massive. They they had already said we've got to throw loads at her. Now, unfortunately, what they didn't do was tell us the they said what the physical effects would be. They didn't tell us what the mental how it would affect her mental health. And unfortunately, so she went into remission in July 2009. And after um, both of us sitting down having a conversation on the Sunday and me saying that I really wasn't sure because I'd lost myself or my whole life had revolved around Becky for the last year. And I'd then found out my back was broken again. So I had my own journey that I needed to deal with because I'd hidden it from her. And I just said, I need some space. I need some space to get my head around what is going on and what I need to do. And basically, she killed herself. So she um, said, I'm not going to live without you. Really didn't, honestly, really didn't think anything was going to happen. Um, we spoke about it. We went to bed on the um, the thought being that we were going to go on, all right, let's go on holiday. Yes, there's a lot going on. Let's go on holiday and we'll have a chat. Let's have a break. We need a break for, and together to go and have a holiday. That was a Sunday night. She left on Monday morning. And when I when she didn't come home and I couldn't get hold of her all day, I knew something was wrong. And I reported her missing. And then I got the police come to my door on the Tuesday. And she had been found in the River Thames. So she weighted herself down and she threw herself into the River Thames. So we were really lucky to find her. She got caught up. Otherwise, I don't even know if we'd have found her to date. So, yeah. And that was 10 years ago. That was, that was 10 years ago. And she, she was my best friend. She wasn't, she wasn't just my partner. She was my best friend. We'd known each other 16 years. And life then took the, the most unbelievable um, sort of path because I'd gone from being the most amazing person to Becca's family to being the 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 devil the absolute devil and yeah it was awful and then I had to I was put through um coroner's court so they did they did the um they took they basically put me in front and were trying to say it was my fault so I had to relive the whole thing I had to do that and that was in the October. So I'd started prior to that. I mean, I'm really not kidding, Stefan. I was drinking. I mean, one day I got up and I had a um, a pint of vodka. It weren't neat. I had actually put some mixer in it. <laughs> but it was pretty strong, you know. And it and that was when I sat back and went, whoa, okay, hang on a second. This is a bit nuts. Um that thought process lasted a little while and I just carried on drinking and carried on for the next year, drink, drugs, just being around people that I shouldn't be around um, who were helping me to forget, but not helping me to recover. So I've always had money. So I was just buying people drinks. I was, I was a good person to be around if you're out socializing because you didn't buy many drinks if you were with me, you know. So you learn, I learned quite a lot, shall we say, on the journey of recovery because I 
I had a year of self-destruct and I really did self-destruct to a massive degree. And then I met my wife and who's Penny. So me and Penny are still happily married. That's been, so it was a year, a year after Becky died, I met Penny. And thankfully she was anti-drugs, (laughs) anti-smoking. I mean, she didn't say you've got to stop smoking or drinking, but she did say, do not do drugs in my presence. Mm. Best thing she could have done. Best thing she could have done. Um, and yeah, and I, I, over two years after, after meeting Penny, I had a breakdown because my body had gone, uh, I mean, my body had just had enough. I'd, I'd had all these years of, of abusing my body in every bloody respect you can imagine. And in the end, it just went, well, if you're not going to slow down, Mrs., yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to wipe you out. That's right. And boy, oh, <laughs> it, I mean, I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. I, I was, oh, I was in such a bad, a bad place. And yeah, so I, I started to recover from the, from the breakdown and I really went on the next part of my journey into personal development. And that's where I really started to understand the mind, understand, you know, I, I couldn't get any lower than I was at that point. And I needed to find who I was. I'd lost Lisa. I lost Lisa a long time ago. And I didn't know who I was without the coping mechanisms, so I went on a journey to find out. Cool. This was such a painful time, yet you had to go through it. It's it's the the, the story of the phoenix rising out of the ashes, uh, the mm-hmm. the Lisa King version two point zero coming out and reinventing yourself because you had figured out that what you were doing is probably not so good for you. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no, it is, yeah. but it is, it's ama- it amazes me that you could see it because I certainly, when I was in that place, maybe I could see it, but I didn't have the power to stop. I didn't have mm. the, the, I, there was far too much shame, guilt, trauma, negative emotions for me yeah. to not drink. It was, I, I completely tried to escape into the bottle. And mm. I, no, without my wife, I would have never mm. gone into rehab. She organized it behind my back. Oh. And she organized the admission and the next four weeks was the biggest roller coaster ever. But it was also the most beautiful time in my life because I've learned so much about myself and about my emotions, something that I wanted to drown for a long, long, long time. I had no idea. I was always called myself emotionally retarded. And wow. a recent a recent host who was interviewing me got up. Oh, oh sorry for the Americans here. Retarded. That does not mean to say that we do speak negatively about the disabled. And I thought, what the hell? Yeah. No, I'm talking yeah. about myself, and I was mm. an imbecile. I was. I was so 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 unable to deal with my emotions. Mm. So yeah. and we need to spell that out. We need yeah. to to talk honestly about that because it's the emotions that drive us to drink. It's the emotions that drive us to to 
pick up the drugs and inject. Mm. It is it is anything to numb the pain. Mm. Quick sexual encounters yeah. of the most dangerous kind. Mm. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. For that moment, yeah. the pain is gone. Yeah. And then the orga- orgasm yeah. is gone and you look around and you think, oh, shit. Uh, and you yeah. get out of here. Um, but it is it is what it is. Mm. That is what you do mm. in order to escape the pain. And everyone yeah. out there who has been in that boat will recognize it. And so, yeah. yes. Oh, oh. No, you are, you are, wow, I'm so pleased for you that you had that moment of clarity. Having said that, so mm-hmm. with Penny, it, it, uh, it, things, things started to change and she never put a hard word on you, but what ultimately gave you the catalyst? What was the catalyst? What, what did change oh, you? What, what, what was happening? Okay. So I'm just working out the dates. So it's been three years. I'm three years, almost three years sober. Yeah. Very proud. And so you should be. Yeah. And what happened was during my journey of personal development, I was starting to uncover a lot of shit, a lot of stuff and and things that I buried so deep are now surfacing. So the drink is still there. The drink is now still being needed. The drink is now um, not binge drinking. It became drinking at home, bottle of wine, then might be have two bottles of wine. But this is between us. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, while she is and, having one glass, you were having oh, yeah. the other 13. Oh, I drink like a fish. Drink, I used to drink like a fish, yeah. Uh, and um, so... So that was carrying on and it, it got to a point where it was quite intense and there were five occasions. They say that you're, you have to have a big enough why. My why was that um, on five occasions, I was vile, absolutely vile, not physical. I would never, ever be physical. I'm, I'm very, very strong and I know what I can do. So I would never do that. I saw it as a kid. But what I said verbally at these points was pointed out to me. And I was ashamed. I was disgusted. I, there were so many emotions going on for me. And I literally needed to take responsibility because it's very easy. I, I, I was always somebody being the victim blaming everyone else, so, oh, it's my childhood, it's this, it's that, it's this. It's like, at least you're 40. Get a grip and start looking at what is going on. It's only so long you can blame everyone else for, for your actions. And I'm like, right, come on. So, yeah, so it would be, so how old am I now? I'm 49 now, so yeah. I, would, I was 46. And I turned around and I said, I'm going to stop drinking for a year. So I said, I need to stop because... I, I I just can't do this. I can't, it's not who I am. You know, there's me going on stage and I'm talking and I'm changing <laughs> young people's lives and all this. And, and then that happened. And to me, integrity is my biggest value. It's my, the most important thing in my world. And to do that, I had to, I had to take responsibility and I wanted to, I wanted to find the Lisa. I, I know, I know what good person I am. 
but the drink was masking my greatness. And vulnerability for me was growing up was what I saw as, as a weakness because I come from a, a home where domestic violence was kept secret. Everything is kept, you know, so the shame was linked there. And now vulnerability is my superpower. I share my story and there are many, many facets to it. And I share it because I've changed lives now. Since I've now turned everything around, I go into schools. I, I work with young people because that was when my biggest, biggest challenges were. Mm. So I now go into schools, you know, and I and I say to kids, look, anything you've done doesn't define who you are. You've got the opportunity going forward mm. to change your life. And and you know, and and drink for giving up drink for me was the biggest act of self-love I could ever do. Ever. Because I'm me. And that's the good, that's the bad, because there are some rather bad sides, and that's okay. More good, thankfully. <laughs> the cheeky side. I love it. I, I, I'm just me, and, yeah. you know, and the right people have left my life, and the right people have come in. Hmm. So. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? You yeah. suddenly reevaluate so much around you. Of course, you do the journey inside and you deal with the trauma mm. and the pain, but also suddenly your choices that you make on a daily basis are very, very different. Yeah. For me nowadays, to put me into a room with strangers and to just make small talk for the sake of small talk, I it, it drives me nuts because my life is so full with beautiful things that I... I just go nuts. Um, if there is a purpose to what I'm doing, a networking, a exchanging ideas with like-minded people, uh, that's that's beautiful. Give me that room anytime. But I'm now yeah. thinking about the the uh, take the example of a uh, of a party. You're invited to mm. a party. Everyone is slowly but surely getting drunk and thinks they are the coolest and, and do all the shenanigans that you do when you're sort of half mm. drunk. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it anymore. Yeah. This is my life. This is, I'm, yeah. I'm 54. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. have another 50 years to go, I hope. Um, yeah. But if that is not the case, I want to make sure that I make the most out of every single second. And oh, yeah. No, yeah. no waste. I guess that's, yeah. that's what brings us today to the new Lisa, because the new Lisa um, is joining me here in the evening um, in in the UK, having had Saturday a, night. That's right, Saturday night. Well, what better to do Look at than me. <laughs> us exactly. party animals here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, oh, I know. Brilliant. Oh, beautiful. I should I put some some disco light on and have a little bit of music going in the background? Yeah, yeah that's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, you're quite right. You're quite right. We choose yeah. to do different things. So tell me about your, your current choices. Tell me what drives oh, wow. you at the moment. What are you doing? Okay. Right. <laughs> I had, I'm trying to think where to start, purely because so much has happened. Um, I'm so in alignment now with who I am and what I do. What I do now is anything that comes up that doesn't feel right to me or isn't in alignment, I say no. Good. And it's stunning, stunning, <laughs> because then what I've done is created space for some beautiful projects. So I was lucky enough to be a TEDx speaker. So I did that um, 
this, the whole last few months just totally wiped out my <laughs> time. Uh, <laughs> December last year. Yeah. December last year. So I did that. I've uh, been a co-author in a book that became a best international bestseller, which was awesome. Uh, I've now started my own membership around reminding people how brilliant they are. Hmm. So I do lots of challenges. I do lots of different things. And I, I put a rocket up people's bums if they need it with regards to work and stuff. But for me, it's about reminding people how brilliant they are that they are capable, that they can do things. Um, but the biggest thing for me at the moment, oh, I got um, nominated for a Pride of Britain award, wow. which is really huge. <laughs> but I'm so, I go so against the grain. There's not a chance I would even get to the next stage because I'm not a yes person in respect of what the category was. It was hilarious. So I'm like, right, that's okay. Being nominated is amazing. Mm. Um, but I work with young people now. We, we've partnered with a, a young person's charity called Megan's Space. And Megan took her life uh, a year ago. Now, her mum and dad have set up this charity. And talking about alignment, I'd met her mum just after Megan's death. And I didn't realise until we connected again through me asking for charities that wanted to, you know, that was around young people's mental health. She got in touch with me and we'd already met. We'd already met. We'd already had a conversation. I didn't link the two. And huh. it's, it gives me goosebumps. It's given me goosebumps now because it, we were meant to work together, without a doubt. We've, we've saved. Um, I met somebody today, 20-year-old lad, drinking too much anger, similar background to me. And I spent two hours walking with him in a park, very calm, very lovely. And I know that if we hadn't have intervened, he may not be here. So that's what I want to do. I want wow. to help the younger generation to, and because there's so much, there's so much addiction at the moment, whatever that addiction is, I want to help people to, to see where their future is, to see that they're important, to see that they're loved mm. and that, they can they can change the world by being in it. Absolutely, but I mean, so, let's yeah. let's not be silly. The UK has got huge problems, and uh, is <laughs> yeah. the the UK is one of the few countries that does a yearly uh, stock take, so to speak, uh, with regards to extensive surveys. And one of the surveys that they do is to ask young people uh, between I think eighteen to twenty four is one of the age groups. Have you in the last year taken drugs recreationally and then they go into details and for the last 20 years thereabouts the figure of young people in that age group who have taken class a drugs so we're talking cocaine heroin etc has been steady at about 10 percent last time i looked so one in ten people is shooting up I mean, what was yeah. the, the incidence of IV drug addiction in Brighton, I think, is something like one in 50. Okay, so it is the amount mm -hmm. of, of drugs that are being taken, specifically in the UK, has always yeah. been a staggering flood that is running underneath the surface of um, yeah. proper, and I'm English, uh, and underneath oh, yeah. there you have got that cesspit of drugs. 
And now yeah. this year with COVID and with, with Brexit and with uncertainty, uh, bloody hell. I mean, it is, it's getting nuts, absolutely. So yeah. Lisa, your, your efforts there are so timely and so needed. There's absolutely yeah. no doubt about that. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, I'm so pleased that you're doing that. And if people want to support you or people want to get in touch with you because you ring very much a bell with them, how can they do that? So you can go on to um, Facebook. I must admit, for somebody who is quite out there with what, what I do, I don't do lots on social media, as in I'm not one of these that posts loads on Insta and mm. Facebook and things like that. But I have a presence. I do have a mm. presence more on Facebook. So it's Lisa King page. Go on to there. And that basically is my page. So if anybody wants to get in, in touch mm. with me, my, my, I've got an email address I'm happy to give out. Mm. If anybody wants to, you know, personally message me that way, I'm more than happy, which is lisa at clarityfocusandgrowth.com. And reach out because um, the book is coming. I've got to say about the book. <laughs> the book is called Stories of Truth and Triumph. Uh -huh. And that will be available on the 30th of September. Yay. And that will be, yeah, that will be out. So, and that's the 10 15, days. Bloody hell. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. There's 15 authors who are have told their stories very, very different. And yeah, so. Please, please, please get in touch and, you know, just, yeah, reach out without a doubt. And it is so important what you just said, because actually help is literally one phone call away. It's one, one little decision of picking up a phone, of maybe making an appointment with a GP, maybe just being honest. And it's so beautiful when you do that the first time. It might be the most the scariest thing ever, especially if you're a young person and very confused about your emotions. But yeah. please, please, please trust Lisa and me that that little step of you taking control for that little moment in time will open doors for you that you could have never, ever imagined. So it is the life that is waiting for you guys out there is, is just unbelievable. But it's so hard to see when you're in the middle of, of, of darkness. And please, yeah, please absolutely. listen to my voice, listen to Lisa's. We have been through the, for the crap. We have, we, have, we have seen the real, the abyss, uh, the darkness, the suicidal thoughts. We have seen it lift through it. And here we are doing a very different work. So please, 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 please seek help. And help is out there. It's hard for us to now actually give you specific numbers, etc., because this podcast or this YouTube channel is, is international. So this might be picked up in India or in America or the mm. UK. So therefore, I cannot put all the helplines in there. But if you if you just whatever your your main issue is, if you, if it is teen, um, if you're a teen and want to have help, every single country has got the help there. 
uh, if so, if it is urgent, please, please stop listening now. Just pick up the bloody phone and call call a helpline. Yeah. If it is not so urgent and you but you know you're in trouble, well, you could do far, far worse than get in touch with Lisa. And if you guys look down there into the description of the podcast and the YouTube channel, you will find her details. So get in touch with her if, if uh, she resonates with you. If you want to know more about the, the alcohol side of things, My Steps to Sobriety is my handle on social media, as well as my book in electronic form and as a, as a real hard copy, and soon as an audiobook, and soon as with workbooks, etc. So we are expanding very much what we are doing, what I'm doing here in my, in my sphere. Because it is so important. The alcohol, yeah, it can help you a bit, but yeah, okay. There are many, many better ways out there. And Lisa has got her way of teaching you. I've got my way of teaching you. Guys, open up. It's gorgeous. Life is waiting. Very peaceful. I think that's what I describe it now as. I've got an inner peace that I never, ever thought I would have. (laughs) How beautiful is that, Mm. isn't it? You're no longer pressured. This is, you have put some of the negative emotions to bed that were previously continuously riding me, continuously torturing and tormenting me. And now the the serenity, that is the the word. And that's the reason that we alcoholics love our serenity prayer so much. That's cool. Lisa, uh, any parting thoughts? What would be the one message? If you could go back in time to your younger self, what would be the one message you would like to send back in the time capsule? I would say you are perfectly imperfect. <laughs> Love it. Be, be yourself. Yeah. Be unapologetically you. I 100% agree. Oh, beautiful. Guys, <laughs> you heard the message, perfectly imperfect. I couldn't have put it in any better words. <laughs> Lisa, it was an absolute honor for me to interview you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being so honest, humble, authentic. That's exactly what we need in nowadays world. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking me. It's it's lovely to share this part of my journey. This isn't one that I share as much as others. So it's been beautiful to do that. So cool. thank you. And you guys out there, look after yourself. You've got one life to live. You might as well make the absolutely most out of it. Bye. Dream.